Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Carlene Bass, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to be here. So, Carlene, your name was on my radar because I had Vern Inge over here, and Vern said, you have got to talk to Carlene because she's lived in Ashland for more than a couple of minutes. And if you and because I'm from Ashland, I have I have a ton of interest in Ashland generally, but also the history of Ashland. So I'm I'm certainly looking forward to hearing your story and, and hearing some history of Ashland too. Okay. Does that work for you? That works for me. And you're and you're a former history teacher. Former history, geography, psychology teacher. Which did you like the most out of those three teaching? I love teaching American history to eighth graders. Uh but then when I moved to high school and taught psychology, I really love that. Really? What's it, what's it about psychology that you love teaching? Well, I majored in it in college, for one thing. And it's also, particularly with high school students, it was the first time they had the opportunity to talk about a lot of things in public mm. and to find out that they, their feelings and their thoughts about things were normal. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. It is powerful for juniors and seniors in high school. Nobody had ever let them know that what they were feeling was perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. And a lot of uh, school systems and a lot of parents and families don't want to talk about that kind of stuff in the open, but they absolutely should. Well, Hanover County was uh, not the first school system in the state to have a psychology class, but they were the first to have two years of psychology in high school. And why do you think that is? And ever just early on realized it I was I think important? they had a really, really good teacher who started the program. And I was very fortunate in that she, had, she left because her husband got a job out of state and they left. And the county hired someone else and he was not, I don't even remember his name, he wasn't as successful. And in uh, August of 1981, he called into the school system and said, I'm in Florida and I'm not coming back. Mm. And so they were stuck in August uh, with no psychology teacher. And did they so, know at the time that you had a psychology degree? Well, they found out. <laughs> this is before the days of computers, and so they still had the file box. Uh. And they went into the file box to see who had a certification to teach psychology. And of course, my name being Bass came up real fast. (laughs) And they called me out of the blue and said, how would you like to move from junior high school to high school and from teaching history and geography to teaching psychology? And I was like, oh, wow, I don't know. Let me think about this. And then my next response was, do you know how long it's been since I've studied psychology? And their response was, we don't care. You're certified to teach it. So you, you were smart enough back in, a while ago to get certified, and that certification lasted for... Well, I, I was certified when I got my original teaching certificate because of the fact that I had majored in psychology. Gotcha. So that was on my certificate. I had certifications in psychology history, geography, I actually had one in French, which I never would have attempted, and that was, 
that was only there because I had enough college credits to uh. get it put on there, but I would never do that. Although this week, I do, we, my family does uh, daily Jeopardy questions with the Jeopardy calendar. Mm-hmm. And this week, they've had a couple of uh, responses that required you to know French. And so I've come out at the top of the heap with my family. <laughs> you remember French from uh, back well, then? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's nothing it's nothing too deep it's it's uh casual but yeah i mean i'm well, like bonjour i mean you know even if i hadn't taken french i would have known that one. merci <laughs> merci right. and we right i i could uh i'd never really spoken i took three years over to high school and i think i could say the basic things that everybody uh-huh. knew and, and maybe string together a few sentences but was not very good at it yeah were you conversational with it back then I, I tried to be in college because college professors taught in French. I mean, they expected you to know it. Me, coming from poor little Henry Clay High School in Ashland, Virginia, I was definitely not conversational. But all these girls coming from these fancy boarding schools in in the Northeast, they would just rattle it off. And it was like, whoa, I think I'm in the wrong place. But... But you figured it but, out. But I figured, well, I passed the classes. It's a pass-fail thing at <laughs> I that was point. <laughs> I got a good enough grade that I got the credit for it. So were you born in Hanover County? No, I was actually born in Caroline County. Okay. I was born in the section known as Frog Level. <laughs> I tell everybody I'm a native Frog Levillian, <laughs> and I'm very proud of it. Po- population back then was probably 15. <laughs> Maybe a few more, and probably I was related to all of them. Uh, my mom and dad uh, lived in uh, in my maternal family home in on Frog Level Road. Mm-hmm. The house is no longer there now, but that and so they were living there when I was born. But then, when I was sixteen months old, my parents moved to Ashland. And why the mood? Uh, My dad wanted more opportunities for his children. He did not want, his father had been a farmer. He grew up on a farm. My mother grew up on a farm. Her dad also owned a store. But my dad didn't see that as what he wanted to continue with the rest of his life. And so he got a job in Richmond. Mm. And uh, he also, he had graduated from high school and really would like to have gone to college, but back in those days, nobody encouraged him. He didn't know about scholarship opportunities and so forth. So he thought, well, the next best thing is I could move to Ashland and be exposed to Randolph-Macon. Mm. Yeah. So that that's what my parents told me was the reason they made the move. And he, he commuted to, to Richmond for work, it sounds like. Right. Well, he also was a traveling salesman. Mm. He uh, sold wholesale hardware to 18 counties and three cities. He didn't sell in the city of Richmond, but he sold in Fredericksburg and in Newport News and Orange, Virginia. So Richmond but, Metro mm-hmm. expanded a little right. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he was on the road all the time. Except on the weekends, maybe. He was on the road, but he came home every night. Oh, wow. Except for three nights a month. He spent two nights a month in Newport News because he had enough customers down there. And back in, the, we're talking now in the 1940s, 
it, it was a fairly good trip to go to Newport News. Right. So you didn't go down there and turn around and come back and get up the next morning and go down there. So he would spend the night, two nights down there. And then depending on how many customers he had and how much business he did, he would sometimes spend the night in Orange, Virginia. Okay. And when I was at Mer Washington College, he would sometimes spend the night in Fredericksburg just so he could take me out to dinner, oh. which was nice. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so back, back in the... Uh, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. the interstate didn't exist. No, no. Interstate started in 57. Right. And so if you are if you want to travel with your family to mm-hmm. Richmond, you were taking the old Telegraph Road or were you taking Route 1? No, Route 1. Route 1 route was one. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Route 1 was there. Route yeah. 1 was the main route between uh, Maine and Florida. Actually, it went from Maine to Florida. All the way down and, the Keys, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Ashland had one stoplight. The same one that's there on 54 and Route 1. Right. Yeah. That was the only one. And it was probably flashing back then, maybe. No. It was an Oop. actual stoplight. Okay. And the 18-wheelers would come down, going from north to south. We lived on College Avenue. Okay. The 18-wheelers would come down, and, and they'd start putting on the brakes, and they'd you know start making all that noise, and then they'd stop, and then when the light turned green, they'd rev up, to go and all uh, hours of the night all hours of the day and night and it's just like the trains in ashland you got used to it you didn't pay any attention to it could you hear the railroad tracks or could you yes. hear trains yes so you, you got it on both sides i got it on both sides but <laughs> you didn't you didn't even notice it uh in fact when i was 14 years old my parents built a house on chapman street and we moved up there okay and this is before the days of air conditioning so you had the windows open and it was also the days when Lux Dairy was mm. there. Yep. So we would hear the cows mooing. <laughs> and the first night we spent in that house was in May, and all the windows were open. And the next morning, my, I was like, I don't like living here. I miss the trucks. <laughs> what is this with cows and crickets? So... But you could still hear the trains, couldn't you, from yeah. Chapman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends on how the wind is blowing, whether you can really hear the trains very, very well. It depends. As you know, when you, when you live in Ashland, sometimes with the air conditions, not air conditioning, when the air currents mm. are such that sometimes it sounds like the train is coming right into your house, even though I'm four blocks off the tracks right. now. Right. And in those days, I was five blocks off the tracks. Uh, but then all the time, and as I said, you become so used to it, you don't, you don't even hear it. So you moved to to Ashland in nineteen thirty five, end of thirty four. Yeah, no, thirty five, February of thirty five. How do you remember that? Because my parents told me, and I <laughs> remembered that. I don't remember things like that. <laughs> well, I've people tell me that I have a really good memory. Yeah. I do have a good memory for what happened, like, in 1935, <laughs> but don't ask me what I had for breakfast this morning. My dad used to say he had a really good memory, but it was short. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And but, how, how short was short? <laughs> like a couple hours, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you'll find as you get older, you can remember things that happened years and years and years ago, but you not necessarily will remember what happened the week before. Gotcha. Yeah. So what was it like here in, in the late 30s through the 40s? Well, Ashland was very small. 
I mean, I don't know the population of the town in those days, but I know it was very small. Everybody knew each other. Uh, you, When you met someone new who perhaps had moved to town, one of the first questions you ask is, where do you go to church? Mm. You were almost delineated by what church you went to. It's like, oh, yeah, I know them. They go to the Baptist church. Or I know them. They go to the Christian church. Uh, or Presbyterian. Yeah, Presbyterian. Or Methodist. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we had all flavors. We did. Oh, absolutely, we did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did. And it was wonderful in the summertime because they all had Bible school. Mm. And you could go to everybody's Bible school. It was very ecumenical. We'd go to everybody's Bible school. Not that you were that interested in the Bible, perhaps, but they had games and treats and your friends. And, right. I mean, so you went, I went to everybody's Bible school. So that's how you spent your summers. <laughs> A good portion of them. There wasn't that much to do in Ashland. I mean, we played, we rode bicycles, we roller skated, we played games like tag and hopscotch and that sort of thing. Now, remember that back in those days, the trains were steam engines, mm. and the tracks were lined with coal. Wow. And, of course, they burned coal. So they were lined with coals because they would... That was like the... Like where you'd put down mulch in landscaping, there, were, there, were, there was coal on, between the tracks. Huh. Kept down the weeds and stuff. Did they have to... Shovel the coal into the train, or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So it was just there for the taking as they yeah. needed it. So if we uh, if we were playing hopscotch, for example, there were a few sidewalks in Ashland, not a lot, but a few. And if you were, we were playing hopscotch, you'd go up to the railroad track and pick up a couple of pieces of coal, and you'd use that to draw oh. the hopscotch outline on your sidewalk. And then you would either use a piece of coal or you'd pick up a rock to use to put where you were supposed to jump and so forth. I don't remember all the rules of the game, but I remember that, that you had to, that we did that. I mean, that's a real story about living in a town with uh, train tracks coming through. Right. You were using coal. Right. It was there. It was available. It was that, free. That, that's, a, that's fascinating. So, yeah. so, Carlin, you were born, you're a historian or you, you taught history. Uh Great Depression started in twenty nine, mm-hmm. effectively ended. World War Two. Okay. So World War Two is what brought us out of the depression. So you were born into the depression. Oh yeah. Do you remember what it was like living in the depression? Uh but yeah. I mean, as a history teacher, I know what it was like living in cities mm-hmm. like New York and Washington and places like that. It wasn't like that in Hano- in Ashland or Hanover County. Okay. Everybody either knew or did have their own garden. So food, we were not uh, deficient in food. My grandparents, my paternal grandparents lived on a farm. My granddaddy killed his own hogs, uh, had his smokehouse for his meat. So we always had ham, chicken, all that sort of stuff. And a lot of people, I mean, I don't know of anybody in Ashland. I'm, I'm sure there were some, but I don't know of anybody who went without food during that time. But that was not the case in cities. Because cities, people had to buy food. Right. They and, had to buy. And somebody, right. somebody else mm-hmm. had to. My dad always had a garden. He grew beautiful vegetables. My mother canned. 
This is before the days of freezers. Right. She canned food, so we always had, and we he had potatoes and sweet potatoes and Irish potatoes and that sort of thing that he kept. And so, I mean, we definitely never went hungry. And nobody, none of my friends that I know of went hungry because they were in the same position. Now, nobody had a lot of, well, I should take that back. Some people had a lot of money. There were a few really rich people in Ashland, but the majority of people were you know, what today would be considered, I guess, probably lower middle class. Uh, but everybody was in basically the same position as everybody else. And so, I didn't. I mean, if we were poor, I didn't know about it. Now, I do know that I heard my dad say that the month that I was born, which was in 1933, that his salary that month was $27. It's hard to put that in today's terms, right? It's really hard. But when we moved to Ashland in 1935 and rented a house on College Avenue that had three rooms downstairs and three bedrooms upstairs and one bathroom, the rent, this will blow you out of the water, was $5 a month. (laughs) What I would do for $5 a month mortgage. Oh, mm-hmm. man, that would be amazing. But, as I said, if you're making $27 a month and your rent is $5. You're doing all right. At, right. Yeah. I mean, today, if you're making $10,000 a month and your mortgage is 2000 Yeah. you know, that's right. I'm not a math person, but, you, I mean. You were really then, close there. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> you know, it makes, it makes sense. Well, let's go back to uh, the gardening. So I grew up in the garden. My, <laughs> my mom gardened. I helped her in the garden. But it felt like we were transitioning from necessity, and we ate a lot of food out of that garden. Um, but it was more she enjoyed doing it. She mm-hmm. remembers doing it as mm-hmm. a child. I imagine everybody that had gardens back when you were a kid, mm-hmm. they were doing it out of necessity. That's how you you guys uh, got your nourishment in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so was your dad naturally good at it? Oh, or, yeah. He was really good at it. But he also had to be pretty good at it, too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was really good. Of course, he had grown up on a farm. Uh, so he had that knowledge. As I said, he didn't want to be a farmer for a living. Right. Uh, but he, oh, he loved his garden. He loved his garden. And a beautiful garden. Now, I can tell you a really funny story. Sure. When we lived on Chapman Street. Well, first of all, my mom and dad bought a lot on Chapman Street in 1939 with the intention of building a house within the next year. Well, then what, of course, happened mm. in 1941 we're in the big war. There are no building supplies. Mm-hmm. There's not, you can't build anything because there's nothing available. So they had to wait until after the war. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which actually turned out to be good because they were able to save more money and they were able to build a better house worked after out. the war. So yeah. it worked out. But anyway, they had this land. So my dad would drive his car from uh, College Avenue up to Chapman Street and have, he had a big garden on Chapman Street on that land mm-hmm. that he owned. And uh, prior to that, he had had to rent land on Caroline Street. Uh, he rented a plot of land over there. But I mean, he, he had a big garden. He grew a lot of stuff. He, he didn't want but, to be a farmer, but he, he kind of enjoyed gardening, Oh, I he loved it. That was his, definitely his, his hobby. That was his main hobby. 
But anyway, we've moved, we've moved to Chapman Street. And this is after we have moved up there in 48. And there is a college professor. I have no idea what his name was, but he lived in a, in a house right around the corner on John Street. And he had room for a garden, and he decided to plant a garden. And my dad was out working his land and getting his garden ready, and the guy was out digging up his land and getting ready for his garden. And one day he came and told my dad that he that dad wasn't doing it right. <laughs> and my dad said, well, I'm doing it the way I've always done it, you know. And the guy goes, yeah, but you're, you're not doing it right. He said, I've read a book, and, and I know how you do it. And you ought to be doing so-and-so. And dad said, well, you know what? My dad was a really nice guy. He said, you know what? I'm just going to keep on doing it the way I've been doing it. And you do it the way you want to. Right. Well, within, by the time vegetables start coming in, Dad's got this beautiful garden flourishing that all kinds of things, and the poor other guy's stuff is all withered up and died. And he goes, the old man, the man whoever he was, said, I, I just don't understand this. I read all about exactly how to do it, and you didn't do anything that I had you read that I read about, and yet you've got all this, be- all these beautiful vegetables. And Dad said, "Well, you know, I've been doing it for a while, so I just kept on doing what I was doing." But I tell you what, you know, I've got plenty. I'm going to share with you. So Dad basically fed that oh, wow. family. Yeah. Uh, the whole, and I think they moved shortly thereafter. Maybe he didn't last at the college more. I have no idea what his name was or what he taught, but I just was impressed that he had read a book. Well, there's a life lesson in that, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, your absolutely. Da- your dad had been doing it and been uh-huh. refining his approach for uh-huh. years uh-huh. and reading a book. To, I mean, it's nice uh-huh. to have that knowledge, right. but if you can't put it in practice, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not sure it's, what good it's doing. It's one of my favorite stories. That's uh, a great story. Yeah. And as I said, my dad never lorded it over the guy or anything. It was like, you know, well, I'm just going to keep on doing it like this. And Well, he didn't lord it over him, and then he fed him. Oh, yeah, right. And then he said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be glad to share. Yeah. You know, if you need tomatoes, corn, whatever. Your dad sounds like, like he was a good man. Oh, he was a good man. And he died in his garden. Oh, probably. Yeah. A- Heart attack. Uh-huh. Yeah. My mom used to say, his name is Curtis, Curtis you're going to go out that garden in this heat, and you're going to drop dead right out there. And his response was, well, I can't think of a better place to die. Mm. Well, in June of 1971, he had this gorgeous garden, and he was running his tiller to get the weeds out. He got to the end of the last row, cut the tiller off, and dropped dead. Oh, wow. Was anybody with him? My mom was in the house. Yeah. Yeah. You were all, you were only thirty eight when he passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Too young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been gone a while. Oh yeah, yeah. 52. Entirely too well. And if the medicine had been available then, that's available now. The heart. There's been such enormous strides in heart disease. Right. Uh, that everybody in his family died of heart disease. Mm. And, you know, today they just run him in the hospital 
do a bypass or put in some stents and send him home the next day and he'd be fine. Right. But when he died, bypass surgery was in its experimental stages at MCV. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, when they do experimental surgeries back in those days, and I guess it still happens today, that uh, the first 15, 20, 25, 30, don't work uh-huh. until yeah. you learn to do it right. You got to have, you got to practice. You got to practice. You got to get a little bit better over time. Doctor, I remember when Doctor Ben Carson spoke at Randolph Macon uh, at a graduation before he became famous in politics. He was famous for uh, separating conjoined twins. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. And he told those students. He said, "I was there at that that graduation." He said. Uh, the first set of twins I separated both died. Oh. The second set both died. The third set both died. He said the ones that, that I'm well known for were the 14th ones I tried. Wow. That's hard what stuff. He was, what he was saying to the students was, you know, you mess up. That doesn't mean you quit. Yeah. And he was dealing with life. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Tough stuff. So, yeah, that's and that was true of the heart things. As I said, today, you know, they run you in the hospital, put a stent in, whatever. Oh, okay, you can go home now. Yeah. You were 8 to 12 years old during the big war, World War yes. II. Yes, What are your memories of World War II? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, let's see. There are a whole lot of them, but let, let me see where I want to start. Uh, well, first of all, when I heard about Pearl Harbor, uh, we didn't keep the radio on all the time. My mother didn't like a no- lot of noise in the house, mm-hmm. and so we didn't have the radio on all the time. So there was a Sunday afternoon, December the 7th, Sunday afternoon, the phone rang, and it was my friend, Nora Dillon, who lived on James Street, which is where your parents live now. She, where I grew Nora, up, yeah. Nora lived in the house that Frank and Elizabeth Hargrove live in now. I know exactly where you're talking okay. about. Okay, so Nora called me. She and I were in the same grade in school. She called me and she said, did you hear about the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor? And it was like, no. So she told me what she had heard, and she said, and my dad's got to go to war. Mm. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, this serious stuff. Nora's dad's got to go to war. Well, I mean, it turned out, I know now, or I knew shortly thereafter, her dad was a graduate of VMI. Mm. He was a retired colonel in the Army, and he was working at the time for Virginia Power. Mm. And, of course, every ex-military person got called up they- immediately. That, Immediately. That plus a draft. Right. right. Yeah, but I mean, this is like the day yeah. of Pearl Harbor. He gets the call from who. And he probably was in the Virginia National Guard, I would imagine, but I don't know that. Anyway, so I thought that meant that my friend had to go to war. She said, you know, we're going to be leaving Ashland. I was like, oh, I mean, I was so sad because she was going to leave and she was going to have to go to war. I didn't really understand what war was. And you have to realize World War Two. I call it the last glamorous war, mm. because after that we had television. Ah, uh, 
Yeah. And there's no more glamour to war when you have television. When you can see it, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and of course, all the all the young men in town went off to war. And so you had a lot of women left. There were, uh, there was rationing. You know, you had to have coupons to get canned goods, meat, flour, sugar, shoes, gas. Mm. And it, you could have all the money in the world. Didn't matter. But it didn't matter if you didn't have that coupon book to go with it. So uh, that was that was a big deal. I mean, when my mom would send me to the store, it, it was important for me to have the money to pay for what I had, but it was equally important for me to have that ration book, those coupons. And how did you get the ration book, or how did your family get it? The government? Just- we had, yeah, there was a ration board, a local ration board, and I think it was where where uh, Refunk It is now, mm-hmm. that building. Yeah. Next to the Southern States. Uh huh. I think that's. I know that's where the draft board was. Mm. And either there or in the building next to the what is now the feed store, which was the feed store back in those days, uh, which was the Hurl Progress Building. Mm-hmm. It may have been in there because there were some government things that I know the public health department was in there. So I know there was some government thing. But somehow, I mean. The Hero Progress was, was uh, distributing papers or making papers oh yeah. back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. In fact, the Watkins family bought the Hero Progress, I think, in 19, if I'm correct, I think in 1933. Oh. The, the paper was in existence prior to that. But they moved down from Chicago and... Uh, and bought the paper. And bought the house right next to Henry Clay uh-huh, School. Uh-huh. Yeah. That Bobby Street still lives in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so we had the rationing. And, of course, my dad, being a salesman, depended on his car all the time. So he had to have gas coupons to, even if he had the money to buy the gas, he had to have a coupon. But he had to go justify he, that to the he, ration oh, board. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, strange times. And you had a sticker. I've forgotten this part, but you had a sticker on your windshield that showed you what class you were in to buy gas. Mm. I don't remember whether his was maybe a C or something like that, but I remember it was a sticker on the windshield of the car that showed, I guess, what his occupation was that he was allowed to have. Because, I mean, if you... If you just like lived in town and you worked in town or something, you you would have gotten very little gas ration. They weren't going to let you fill up. No, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you would you would have gotten maybe. I mean, cars. I don't remember what kind of gas mileage they got in those days, but I mean, I'm saying maybe you got ten gallons a month. Okay. And, and, when you didn't have a coupon after that. <laughs> I mean, you, of course, you weren't going anywhere anyway. Right. And all the men were off to war. So when you were in high school, what, what did you think you wanted to do as you got older? Teach. You knew you wanted to teach from a pretty well, early age? Well, I did. If I, were, if I had the opportunity to go back today where women can do anything they want to do, I probably would have been a salesperson like my dad. Really? Yeah. I loved that. I love that. Did you ever get a chance to do that? Well, I, no, I, not as a profession, but I used to ride with him all the time, uh. and I know I know how to do it. I know how to sell. Uh, 
But, yeah, when I was little, I would come home from school, and that was my, what I liked to do after school was play school. Ah. And I had my own little imaginary classroom and my little blackboard in my bedroom, and I would teach, and I would reprimand all my students. I had a little grade book, and, yeah, that, that was how I, how I amused myself when I came home from school. And Mary Washington, where you ended up going to college, was uh-huh. it known for uh, education? Uh, yeah, not not completely, like some of the schools were. Well, actually, Mary Washington's had a multitude of names, uh, but when I was there, it was Mary Washington College of the University of Virginia. Right. Because women were not allowed to go to the University of Virginia. Until the 70s. Right. Right. So we were under the same Board of Governors as the UVA, and my degree says Mary Washington College of the University of Virginia. Uh, I always thought UVA missed out on the opportunity to capitalize on that and fundraise with those women. Right. Why, Why wouldn't they? They blew a big opportunity. I never told anybody from UVA about it because I thought, well, yeah, they'll think now it's a really good idea. I'm not telling them that. But uh, there were four what were called state teachers' colleges in Virginia in those days. So Mary Washington was called Fredericksburg State Teachers' College. Mm. Madison was Madison State Teachers' College, JMU. Right. Longwood was Longwood State Teachers' College. And Radford was Radford State Teachers' College. Okay. Now, they've all changed their names since then. Mary well, they're Washington. all co-ed, right? Yeah, all co-ed, and Mary Washington's now university and so forth. My favorite name of Mary Washington was the original name, hmm. Fredericksburg Normal School. What did the normal mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I love to tell people I graduated from normal school, and they go, oh, no way, did you graduate from normal school? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that uh, made me think of Audrey Riddles, who we will definitely talk about yeah, yeah. Uh, in a little bit. But I, I'd love to uh, get your um, memories of growing up in what I believe, I wasn't alive, but the 50s were fairly idyllic, is yeah. the way it's represented uh, for the mm-hmm. last, I don't know, 60 years. Yeah. And the 60s were a bit more tumultuous, especially as you got into the mid, oh, mid yeah. and late mm-hmm. 60s. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd love to hear your memories about the 50s, being yeah. national Let me tell one more thing about World War II. Sure. Everybody collected every piece of scrap metal there was. I mean, you never threw away a pot or a pan or anything. You actually didn't even throw away the silvery wrapper on a stick of gum. Like, like a Wrigley Spearmint gum uh-huh. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The silvery part yeah, yeah. that's wrapped in. You saved all that. And you took it to uh, behind... Henry Clay School, there was no War Memorial building in those days. You took it there, and you just took anything. I mean, if a wheel came off of something or any anything made of metal, you took there. And about every two weeks, I guess, an Army truck would come and collect it. Hmm. And so sometimes it would be a, you know, a great big pile of stuff. Maybe it wasn't every two weeks. Maybe they only came like once a month, because sometimes a pile would get pretty big. Yeah. And every yeah. T- every town and multiple- Every town, everywhere did that, yeah. And then that all went, and I mean, that was part of your patriotic war duty. That was one thing you could do, is that you could uh, 
you, you'd save that. Mm. And, of course, you couldn't buy anything made of metal. So it was really hard on my dad as a hardware, yeah. sell, hardware salesman. There was so little for him to sell. Uh, and my brother was born in 1943, and it, there were just no metal toys for him to play with. Yeah. And even my mom had a wooden stroller for him. Wow. That had wooden wheels. And she would leave our house on College Avenue going up to Cross Brothers, and she'd get about halfway there, and usually one of the wheels would fall off or something. Because everything's wood. Yeah, everything's wood. E- even like the bolts for the, mm-hmm. for the uh-huh. wheels. Wow. Everything, yeah. yeah and, of course, saying- there were no, no cars produced because all the assembly lines were producing Jeeps. And tanks. And, and, and uh, big, you know, convoy trucks to haul troops and supplies and so and a- forth. And airplanes. and Yeah, right. Yeah. So that um, it seems to me that the last cars produced were, I think, maybe in 1942, and they did not resume production of cars until maybe 46. Wow. So any car you had, you really wanted to take good care of it because mm. there wasn't any way for you to get another one. So just like gardening was uh, born out of necessity for uh, a lot of people, uh, taking uh-huh. care of a car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And as I said, you couldn't get metals, so parts and so forth were, you know, it's hard. It's tough. My dad always really maintained, well, being a salesman and using his car all the time, he really did, uh, really maintained his car really well. Had to. Yeah. Had to. Yeah. yeah had so, to. So you, you were born in the Depression. Right. You were eight to twelve during World War Two, and you Correct. and you have memories of that being hard. And so, yeah. when you got into the late when you once you passed forty five, when the war was over, yeah, you just felt like you'd just been set free. Mm. I mean, all the guys are coming back. Uh, we had some veterans who had dropped out of Henry Clay School, who came back. I mean, I'm like fourteen years old, and I got. 25-year-old guys sitting next to me in math class because they didn't get an opportunity to finish their high school diploma, and they came back. I mean, I was when I think back, I think how proud I was of those people for doing that. You know how hard that must have been for them. Yeah. Um, So, but and as I said, everything is for sale, and people got money. You know, money is available, and People are getting new cars, and they're buying houses and building houses. And, it's like they turn yeah. the lights on kind of uh-huh. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, so, yeah. So that after, I would say from 46, maybe starting in about 46. So then I was in high school by that time. I finished high school in 1950. And, uh, was it only 11th grades back then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, only 11 grades. And uh, then, of course, as I said, went off to college, and you know, everybody had war stories to tell, but everybody was, was just so glad it was over. Now, one of the favorite things at Mary Washington, we were very, very close to Quantico. Mm. <laughs> Few Marines at Quantico. <laughs> oh yeah, and they were, they were done with the war, and they were back, and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's that's really no. Hard. But now, then the fifties is like, oh man, you know, this is wonderful. We're free. We got money. We can go. We can do. And it was it was great. It was great. 
And then, of course, Korea. Korean conflict, because we never declared war. Korean conflict came along. So when I was in college, I had several boyfriends who went to Korea. Mm. And I mean, I would write, I was very faithful of writing letters. And uh, as I said, we met a lot of people in the military there in Quantico. but yeah, but it was really freewheeling and wonderful and a great time and so forth. And then uh, in the 60s, you know, we things sort of evolved into the hippie generation. And you were either a hippie or you wild, weren't a hippie. Right. Wild and crazy times. And um, then, of course, by the time you get towards the end of the 60s and into the 70s, you get to the Vietnam War and then. That wasn't a glamorous war. Mm. That was really, I mean, the Korean conflict, I imagine there was a little bit of TV on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not much. But not yeah, like no, it was for no, Vietnam. No. Vietnam, no. it was on, v- on the Vietnam, news every night. Vietnam. Well, by this time we had TV. Right. My family did not get a TV till I was in college. I think it was in 1952 my family got a TV. Now, TV had been out, and some people had it, but we didn't have it. So I was in college by the time we had a TV. Uh, well, the very first TVs were mostly static anyway. You could hardly see anything. The first, first one I ever saw was about this big around. And, tiny, and tiny. it was uh huh, And it had so much static on it, you really couldn't see what you were seeing. But I was impressed. It was four by four inches. Yeah. yeah. My uh, parents had seen it. They, my parents had gone to the World's Fair in New York in 1939. And they had seen TV there. And they told me. When they came home, they told me that it was coming, that we would, it, would, it would happen. And you'd have to wait 13 years uh-huh. and be in college uh-huh. <laughs> before uh-huh. you got one of those. But there was um, a family that lived down in Elmont that the girl was a friend of mine, and we went to her house one night to pick her up to go somewhere or something, and her family had a TV. Mm. And that's the first one I ever saw. And that's the one that the screen was about this big. Four yeah. by four inches uh-huh. for our listeners. Well, it was, a, it was a circle. Oh, really? It was a circle. Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> and as I said, there was so much static on it. You could... Look like it was really a bad, not, bad... Really not. And it was something like uh, Milton Burrow or something like that. But, I mean, you could hardly see who was on there, but it was like... But oh you could hear. God. You could hear Milton. Oh, you could hear it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, man, this is really great. So, yeah. so I was talking to... Uh, Barkley the priest the other day, and she was telling the story of the the bicentennial celebration we had here in mm-hmm. 1976. Mm-hmm. I was seven years old, mm-hmm. and she said that uh, Tom was mm-hmm. was the, the, the narrator. Mm-hmm. How was Tom chosen to be the narrator? And we, I should be clear: Tom is your my husband, your husband, right? Right. Tom came to Randolph Macon in 1950. He and I met some at some point. On the campus at Randolph Macon, neither one of us knew when we met. I mean, a lot of couples can tell you, "Oh, the first time I met so and so and so and so." Well, we couldn't do that because in those days, in the fifties, people ran around in groups. You didn't pair off like people do today. Right. And so, somewhere along the way, we, you know, we met each other, and. Um, Tom had a beautiful speaking voice. He uh, 
He grew up in Southampton County, Virginia. Mm. And he was determined that he was going to lose that accent. And he, he did not have it when I was a child. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He, and in fact, people would say, you know, where, where did you grow up? And he would say, Southampton County. He'd go, you don't talk like anybody down there. And he was like, no, I worked hard not to talk to like people like that. Anyway, he, I'm trying to think when he first got into doing, I, I know it was the Huckleberry Players. Mm. When you were little, did we have Huckleberry Players Children's Theater? Maybe. I might have been like around hey, What year were you born? 68. Yeah, but you would have been too little. Yeah. By the time you were old enough to know about theater. But we had wonderful children's theater called Huckleberry Players. That was Taffy Yurty, uh, who was Marion Hergett's partner. Okay. And she had been on Broadway, and she had come to live in Ashland, and she was the business manager, maybe, of the Hurl Progress. Okay. And but she just loved theater and everything connected, and and through the Junior Woman Ashland Junior Women's Club, which was a formidable organization in the '50s, '60s in Ashland. You want anything done, you went to the Ashland Junior Women's Club, mm. and I'm sure your mother was involved in that, and I know Audrey was involved with it. And you wanted anything done in the community, you went to them. And so <clears throat> the Huckleberry Players, we used to perform in the old Henry Clay Auditorium, which is no longer there. You know, Henry Clay had a had a high school building that's located on now what is the parking lot at Henry Clay Elementary oh. School. It's a two-story building. Right, right. And there was an auditorium in there. So they did these wonderful children's productions. And Tom got involved with that and did that. And he was in every one of those. He was really a good actor. And uh, Muriel McCauley, saw him, or Nancy Kilgore saw him in that, and so then got him to do some acting at Barksdale Theater. That's right. Hanover Tavern. Yep. And so, I'm, I'm still a small town, really. I mean, and everybody knows Tom Bass is a great speaker, MC. Right. Whatever you need. Yeah. You know, he can get up and do it. And so, yeah. So the bicentennial. He, he was, was the guy. He was the guy. He was the obvious. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the the variety show. Oh, that's right. Oh, uh, the variety show started in eighty two. Eighty two or three, something like I that. I think I was fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. Well, he was Tom was the MC for that for the first nine shows. So you might have been old enough to remember that. Oh, I definitely was old enough okay. to remember because I was in the second variety show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, then you remember oh, yeah. that he used to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so he did that all the time. And he continued to act at Barksdale. And uh, anytime anybody wanted anybody to be the MC or get up and make a speech or, you know, in town or at church, at, at, I'll go to Duncan. We went to Duncan Memorial Church. I still do. Uh there were women in Duncan Memorial who said, when Tom Bass gets in the pulpit to speak, it's the voice of God. <laughs> you you were married to the voice of God. I was married, yeah, to the voice of God. And uh, it always tickled me because, I mean, these were women friend of mine, and I was like, you know, they'd say, be quiet. Stop talking. Tom is speaking. I said, 
I hear him talk all the time. You know, it's no big deal. That well, I you know I love to hear him speak. I said, well, call him up sometime. I'll put him on the call us up sometime. I'll put him on the phone. You can you can listen to him speak. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's how he was the speaker uh, in charge of the. Uh, and he had the be- he had the beard. He had all the beard. My, all my memories are of mm-hmm. his beard. Yeah. He grew the beard. He was doing, I don't remember the name of the show, but he was doing a show at Barksdale, and he came home one night and told me, he said, you know, when this show is over, I'm going to grow a beard. I was like, okay, grow a beard. So he did. He started growing a beard, and I don't know if your wife complained when you started growing a beard, but beards are really scratchy. My wife does not like my beard. uh Well, they're really sticky, scratchy. Yeah. And I kept saying, eh. I don't know that. I mean, you know, you kiss somebody. I don't know about this. But anyway, so one day he came in and he said, uh, I know you don't really like this beard, so I think I'll just shave it off. And I went, no, no, don't shave it off. I really like it. And now it's gotten soft because after a while it does get soft. Right. I said, so don't shave it off. So he never did. So none of our grandchildren or definitely great-grandchildren, ever some, they would not have known who he was. In fact, I have a picture of him taken when he first was out of college and went to work, a professional picture. And I have it, and I ask the uh, great-grandchildren, you know, do you know who this is? No. They have no idea who it is because he doesn't have the beard. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have any... Yeah, well, no, 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 you wouldn't. You wouldn't, Mm mm-mm. Well, I mean, I hardly, hardly remember it myself. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, you graduate from uh, <laughs> Mer- the normal school. The normal school, <laughs> and uh, you do you start teaching right away? No, first year. Well, we got married in uh, sep- on well September the eleventh, mm. which by the year two thousand one, and then when we'd say to people, "This is our anniversary," they'd go, "Oh, I'm so sorry." It was like, no, yeah. there are good and bad things that happen any day. Any day so of the year. So we know. consider September the eleventh a good day for us, yeah. not for the country, but for us. Uh, Tom had gotten a, a Carnegie Fellowship to go to graduate school at. Uh, George Peabody College for Teachers in Nashville, which is now the education division of Vanderbilt University. Okay. So we moved to uh, Nashville. We got we got married. He gra- we both graduated in '54 in the in May June, and we got married in September, and we w- moved to Nashville for him to go to graduate school. And uh, we loved being. We had best time in Nashville. Now you talk about poor. We were poor. Because he's going to school. Yeah. Well, he's got a fellowship, which pays for all of his tuition and his books and gave him a small stipend. And I'm thinking a small stipend might be like $30 a month or something like that. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was, but I know there was a tiny tiny stipend connected with it. And um, I was a college graduate. I worked at the school in the registrar's office and my salary was a hundred and fifty dollars a month Mm. we lived in a three-room furnished apartment in a 
the provost emeritus of the college. He and his wife rented out apartments in their house, I'm sure to supplement their retirement income. Uh, $95 a month. So you deduct that from 150. Um, I mean, that's I don't do much math, but that's $55 to to live on. To live on. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a car, and uh, we were young. And you made it work. We made it work. Yeah. But the thing of it was. The other graduate students, for the most part, were poor, too. Mm. And some of them were married and actually had children. Mm. And so they were poor. We had one one couple that we hung around with a lot. And he was on the GI Bill. And his wife had a job at the Cokesbury Publishing Company in Nashville. And we thought they were rich. Mm. Relatively but, speaking, they were. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. We could, our, big, our big thing was once a month... We would go to the movie theater in a big movie theater in Ash in Nashville. We'd go go have pizza and a beer and go to the movie once a month. That was a big night. That was it. Yeah. Wow. Hard to imagine. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you were there in Nashville for for one year. For one year. Then we came back to Ashland, and I taught at Henry Clay. What was it about Ashland? Y'all, y'all just consider it uh, home at that point? Well, Tom really liked it. When he came to Randall Bank, he fell in love with Ashland. He just loved it. And his mom was like, I can't believe this. You couldn't wait to get out of a small town. And now here you want to live in one. And he goes, yeah, but this small town is different. And it is. Ashland's Very. totally different from where he grew up. So he said, you know, I'd like to go back to Ashland to live. And I said, fine by me. I love Ashland. It's a great place to raise kids. So we came back, and I taught at Henry Clay starting in, well no we had a year in between we lived in newport news we both taught school in newport news for a year then we came back to ashland and i taught at henry clay but my teaching career at henry clay was very short and this of course sounds weird to people now i had stopped teaching because i was pregnant uh-huh. <laughs> could not teach if you were pregnant. So if the administration knew you were pregnant, they wouldn't let you teach Well, anymore. if you began to show, uh, and I only weighed like 90 pounds soaking wet, so it didn't take long for that to happen. Right. And, uh, well, I mean, I went into the principal. Nelson Taylor was the principal. I went into him, and I said, Mr. Taylor, you know, and I remember he said, don't come in here and tell me you're halfway pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. I said, well... I am. And he said, well, how long do you think you can teach? I said, I think I can make it through the first semester. So baby wasn't born until the 30th of June. But you stopped teaching. I had to. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to. And later on, when I was teaching at Lee Davis, seniors in high school, they go, so why did you have to stop? I said, because that was the rule. Yeah. Then the next question was, were you married? And I was like, yeah, I was married. So why did you have to stop? <laughs> I said, don't ask any more questions. It was the rule. Yeah, that's just how it worked. That's how it worked. And Henry Clay was a high school mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I taught at Henry Clay when they put in the eighth grade. Uh-huh. That was the year they put in the eighth grade, which would have been 1956. So that was eighth Because my brother got caught by the eighth grade. And my brother did 12 years of school, okay. whereas I only did 11. And they 
back then in the mid fifties they were doing uh, through twelfth grade or just still through eleventh grade when you were no teaching? that's when that year that I started was when the group that I taught in the eighth grade had to go through to twelve got it but by the time they got to the twelfth grade they were Patrick Henry had been built right and they were there. Because yeah, he graduated from, my brother graduated from Patrick Henry in 1961. That was the first graduate. They had a graduating class in 1960, but it only had like 13 people in it mm. because you had people that had moved here from other places and you had people who had repeated grades. So you had like 13 people in that class. So the first big legitimate class was 61. Yeah, I think 59-60 was when they opened is my understanding because uh, yeah. my, my parents tell me all the time they were the first four-year graduating class in 63. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Did yeah. you teach my parents? No, I did not teach your parents. You? I, taught, I taught my brother. Did you really? <laughs> well, I was teaching U.S. history, and it was a required class, and I was the only person. So I told him to sit in the back of the room and keep his mouth shut. <laughs> did he? And he did. <laughs> and he passed the class. But as I said, I had to leave at the end of the first semester. So. Yeah. So you, can, you got to teach your brother. That's wild. Now, our last names were not the same because I was married by that time. But, I mean, good Lord, Nashland, everybody knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew he's my brother. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. taught history at Patrick Henry for how long? I didn't teach Patrick Henry. Oh, sorry. Henry Clay. Henry Clay. Just that one semester. That's it? I had to stop. And then when did you go back? Twelve years later. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, I stayed home 12 years with three children. Got it. And yeah. all boys? No. Two boys and a girl. Okay. Two boys are the oldest. Yeah, no. Two I'm, boys, girl in the middle. I'm making some bad guesses tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> girl in the middle. I mean, she'll tell you that in a heartbeat. She had an older brother and a younger brother, and they all showed no mercy. Yeah, middle kids are interesting. Uh-huh. They're, they're, uh-huh. Uh, they can be a lot of fun. They can uh-huh. sometimes not be so much fun. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. But her brothers did pick on her. I have to say that. I tried to keep them from doing it too much, but they did. But they would also defend her if anybody else picked on her. That's right. I mean, they could pick on her. Sure. But you better not as an outsider. That's how yeah. a lot of brothers act uh-huh. with sisters. Uh-huh. I, th- yeah. I think that's okay. Uh-huh. But that, definitely the defending part's okay yeah. from people right. outside. Yeah. All right, so you went back 12 years later, and it was Stonewall Jackson? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still history. I went there the first year that Stonewall Jackson opened, which was also the first year of full integration in Hanover County. Wow. So you That was interesting. You had a 12-year gap. Mm-hmm. You knew what it was like for that not even a semester. Then you mm-hmm. end up 12 years later going mm-hmm. back, and it's the first year of integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like? Um, well, Stonewall was a fabulous school. We had a one, wonderful administrator's. We had a strong faculty. We went in with the idea of, we're going to make this thing work. And everybody worked. It was the best place I ever taught. And anybody that taught at Stonewall in those early days will tell you, even though they had taught in multiple school systems and other places in the state and out of state, if you would meet them on the sidewalk today and ask them, they would say that was the best place they ever taught. Mm. It just worked. And it sounds like people were trying really hard to make oh, it work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We had uh, the principal was white. The assistant principal was black. We had black and white faculty, male and female. And 
we would just we started the year off saying you know could have made a movie about it this 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 is gonna work and it did yeah that's awesome also we had the the superintendent of schools was jk samples okay who was obviously absolutely one of the finest men i've ever known in my life and he was determined it was going to work yeah good for everybody involved yeah yeah well i mean do you want me to tell you about how i got that job sure i wasn't teaching i was in home i'd been home for 12 years it's the first of october school has been in session for almost six weeks i get a phone call one day from Mr. Sample's wife, Veda Samples, who was a bridge buddy of mine. We played in the same bridge club. And she said, J.K. is home from, for lunch right now, and he is in desperate need of a teacher. He's got a teacher who is not well, and he has to have somebody. And he just asked me if I knew anybody that had a teaching certificate that's not teaching at the moment. And you're the only person I can think of. Mm. So uh, he wants you to come over and talk to him this afternoon. I'm feeding my little boy his lunch. <laughs> I was like, so I went, well, her name is Veda. I, Veda, I don't even know that I want to teach school again. The whole world had turned over mm. from 1956 when I left the classroom to 1969. I mean, that was all about hippie, protest, everything. Right. Not a whole lot of respect for the teacher from the students and so forth. And I thought, I don't know that I want to do this again. And she said, well, J.K. needs you. You've got, you've got to go over there. This is your you, bridge buddy. You, you, you've got to go talk to him. So I said, well, let me see if, I mean, my, my older children were in school. I said, let me see if my mother can watch Warren, my baby, who was four. And if she can watch him, I'll go over and talk to J.K. The school board office then was behind, well, it's where the Henry Clay parking lot is again now, between Henry Clay and the War Memorial. It was a white house that had been converted. So I went over there, Louise Lauderback. I don't know if you ever knew Louise Lauderback. Anyway, she was clerk of the school board. I walked in the door, and she went, Hey, Carleen, what are you doing here? And I said, Well, I got a call that J.K. wants to see me. About that time, the door opens, and J.K. comes out, and he's got books in his hand. And he said, Come on in here. So I go in this office, and I sit down. He said, This is what I want you to teach. And I said, I don't even know that I want. He said, this is what I want you to teach. And he said, let me tell you. He said, and remember this first year of integration. He said, I have got a wonderful black woman teacher who is now in the hospital mm. on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And this is why I admire the man so much. And he said, and it's my fault. He said, she has always taught home economics to girls. And I gave her the two classes of English 
which she is teaching boys and girls, and she is in the hospital, and she she cannot come back and do this because she does not know how to deal with boys. Mm. And, and a new he, subject, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was certified to teach English, but she had never taught boys. And it is a difference teaching boys and girls. So he said, so this is what I want you to teach. And he's got books in his hand. He's handing me. And I was like, Jake, Mr. Sam, Mr. Sam, Mr. Samples, I'm not certified to teach English. He looked and he went, you speak it, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I try. Well, this is what I want. And I'll tell you what, in those days they had six periods in the day. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to talk to the principal down at Stonewall, and I'm going to tell him to give you a study hall or something to take up the slack. He said, I need you for two classes. I'm going to tell him to give you another some responsibility for another period of the day, and I'll pay you half salary. Hmm. I haven't worked in 12 years. We're living on one income. we got three kids. That sounded like somebody was just going to throw money in my lap. <laughs> I said, well, let me go home and talk to Tom about it. So I called Tom at his office, and I said, you won't believe what's just happened. And I told him, he said, well, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, money sounds pretty good. You know, we could use the money. So it, as it turned out, we lived on John Street then, that next door to me was Miss Trailer, who ran a, I, ran, ran a daycare. I went to her daycare. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. All right, well, we lived next door. Okay. All I had to do was send Warren across the driveway. <laughs> and they said, and, and oh, so I was only going to teach half a day. And so I thought, well, you know, he could go over to Ms. Trailers for three hours or so. So I said, okay. So I said, yeah, I'd do it. So then J.K. said, okay, well, I want you to go down to Mechanicsville and meet the uh, principal. I said, so how'd I get there? went, I thought you've lived in Hanover County all your life. I said, I have, but I haven't had any reason to go to Mechanicsville. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, well, here's how you get there. I mean, I did not even know how to get to Mechanicsville. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But this is before 295. Right. So, I mean, I'm going Ashcake Road and it's Stumpy co- Road. It's all and, country. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I got back into teaching. That's a crazy story. Uh-huh. And then the second year that I was there, uh, the principal said, I'd really like for you to stay on, and I've got a history opening that you could do. And I said, no. Nah. I said, you know what? I still got a child at home. I've stayed home with the other children. I'm not going to leave this one. So, no, I won't do it. He went, so what if I let you teach a half a day again? And I was like, that yeah you can talk to me about that so i did so for two years i taught half i don't know anybody else got that deal no i've never heard of that yeah but anyway i got that deal at the end of that year he said okay this is it for you you either come full time or you're gone (laughs) i said oh i'm ready to come full time now my child's going to school my youngest child's going to school yeah so how long did you uh teach once you got back into it so I started back in 69, I stopped in 89. Oh, wow. 20 years. 
And so it was a mix of Stonewall and Lee Davis. Well, I stayed at Stonewall for 14 years. Okay. Then, I, then again, I got a call from, I think I told you earlier, yeah. they, they called and said they needed a psychology teacher. And, it's like, okay. and again, I said, I do you know how long it's been since I've taught psychology? And they were like, we don't care. It says on here you can do it. What year did you meet Audrey Reynolds? Oh, Lord. Well, I knew Audrey from the time she was a little girl because she went to the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. So I knew her through church. But... Because she was... She, she's five she, years younger than you. Six. six she was six years younger. younger than me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, not until you're an adult do you have anything with somebody six years age difference. I mean, once you pass like 25, it doesn't matter. Six years doesn't mean anything. Right. But when you're 14, 15, whatever, no, you don't have anything to do with somebody that's six years younger than you are. Right. Because they're a baby. Uh, yeah. So let's just say I was really good friends with her from the mid 60s no early 60s early 60s she and frank got married i think in they got married in december of 64 i think okay yeah i know that's when they got married because i was pregnant and audrey wouldn't let me be in the wedding she wouldn't let me be a bridesmaid why not well i said to her her friend Catherine tinker you remember oh yeah Catherine tinker oh sure Catherine was pregnant also I said, you could put one of us on one end and one on the other, and we balance. (laughs) She was like, no, I'm not doing that. So we didn't get to be in the wedding, neither Catherine nor me. But Tom did. Tom was in the wedding. Why why couldn't pregnant people be in the wedding? (laughs) (laughs) You just didn't have pregnant pregnant bridesmaids, let's put it that way. Nowadays, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, I've seen weddings that the bridesmaids are ready to go to the delivery room <laughs> right yeah but no you didn't have pregnant bridesmaids but you were still fr- even though she wouldn't let you in uh, <laughs> as, a, as a bridesmaid y'all, y'all were still oh, friends oh yeah really really real close friends oh my gosh we just had wonderful times with her and with Frank I mean I loved Frank too and yeah I never knew him well never, yeah really really smart guy very clever just didn't work out messed up yeah yeah but yeah but he was a great guy i loved him i loved him and i loved her what what did you love about her she's very smart wickedly smart Mm -hmm. fabulous sense of humor uh we didn't agree politically uh, but that, you know, I hate it when people don't remain friends with somebody because they don't like their politics, and it's gotten worse over the years. Yeah, it's silly. It's 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 it's, it's just silly. stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. Uh, but we had a great, and then she came to teach at Stonewall, and we That's rode right. the, and we rode the same carpool, which they were some experiences riding on a <laughs> carpool with her on the back roads, taking. Well, she had to drive to, just to get to Ashland. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? And Pat Dugan, who's another one who lived in Montpelier, who's, uh, who taught at Stonewall, too. And she, she drove, you know, she had to drive from Montpelier into Ashland. Mm-hmm. Her husband was the funeral, funeral director at uh, 
what is now Nelson Funeral Home or Right One. In those days, it was uh, Reed Funeral Home. Right. And so we would all meet in the back parking lot of the Reed Funeral Home huh. because we could put our cars back there. and That's where our carpool met. Right. So it's real interesting, particularly at if we were at school or something, we'd say, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow at the funeral home. And people go, oh, who died? Oh, nobody died. That's just where our carpool meets. Yeah. One day we got uh, somebody, another person in the carpool was driving, and she had this old Mustang that five of us crammed into. It was missing some upholstery in the back, so you, if you sat in the middle, you sat on board like this and she was a crazy driver she came whirling out of the parking lot at Stonewall one day and we hear a siren and the police pull us over because I mean it's a school zone you're supposed to be going 25 miles an hour or something and y'all are all teachers (laughs) five teachers in the car (laughs) deputy comes up to the window May I see your license and registration and so forth? Audrey and I are sitting in the back with somebody else. I don't remember who. Audrey goes, I think I know that guy. So Audrey leans around. I don't remember what his name was. We'll say Joe. Joe, is that you? Oh, yeah, Miss Rowling. She taught him. <laughs> How are you? Well, I'm fine. How are you? We didn't get a ticket. Because <laughs> Audrey taught him. Y'all were authority figures, right, yeah, to, to, right, to your students. And, I mean, this is a deputy right? not giving us a ticket when we've <laughs> Cle- clearly clearly broken the law. <laughs> I love it. Carly, uh, we're at about an hour, 15 minutes. I would oh. love to close this out by you telling me about all your, your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. Oh, gosh. Okay, I got three kids. Stephen is the oldest. He's been in the wireless communication business really since wireless came along. Uh, he's married. He's got one son who just got married the 10th of June. He is a, the uh, Stephen was in the Air Force for eight years, and then he got his bachelor's and master's at um, VCU. Okay. And he's married to a girl who grew up in Portsmouth. And they live in, in the Short Pump area. Their son just got married the 10th of June. Jason is a graduate of VMI. And he is with Henrico County now. Uh, then my daughter lives in Ashland with her daughter, who's my granddaughter and my granddaughter's that's the only granddaughter I've got her brother lives on a farm in Caroline County that's been in his family since 1732 he is the seventh generation farmer on the same land in Caroline County he is married and they have two little boys. Silas is seven and going into the second grade in Caroline. And Sam is four, and he'll be going to preschool this year. So they're my two great-grandchildren. Mm. 
Then my youngest son is Warren. He's the financial planner, and he's married to a girl who graduated from Randolph-Macon, came to Randolph-Macon from Dallas, Texas. Oh. And they have one son, and he just got married the 1st of July. Lots of weddings. Right. Had two weddings this summer, but uh, actually he and his wife had gotten married in March of 2022 because they are both in the military. Mm. This, this, my youngest grandson and his wife, and she's from Texas also, are both military police station, okay. stationed at Fort Bragg. Okay. And they just last December had a little girl whose name is Carlene Bass. Ah, nice. Where did you get your name from? Where did your parents find that name? Uh, well, in, back in the days when I was born, you know, they didn't know about a lot of prenatal stuff. They didn't even know they were having twins. My mother knew she was quite large, but she didn't know she was having twins. And uh, so when we were born, first of all, in those days, most men, and I think it's somewhat true today, but most men always want a son first, I think. I, but, I, I have to admit, I wanted the son first. Yeah, most men do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was a real surprise when, when my aunt came downstairs from, because I was born at home, came downstairs and said to my dad, you have a daughter. And she went back upstairs, and about 15 minutes later, she came back down, and she said, Curtis, you have another daughter. My dad always told the story that she went back upstairs about 15 minutes later. She came down, he fell out of the chair before she even opened her mouth. <laughs> But anyway, there were two girls. So, I mean, you know. Were you all they, identical or fraternal? We don't know because she died 26 days after oh, I was born. Oh. So, uh, but anyway, so somebody in the family said, one of, my, one of my paternal aunts, I think they told me, said, you know, I like the name Carlene and Arlene. And everybody was like, oh, it's cool. Okay. A lot of people think my dad's name is Carl, I, but it was I made that assumption. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what third time you've been wrong today. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's only third time I'm wrong. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so that's how it was. Now, no one can spell it. They want to. Um, it's spelled C A R L E N E. People want to spell it C A R L I N E. People want to spell it C H A R L E N E. Caroline, Carlotta, you name it. I've been called a lot of different names. But anyway, but and I didn't particularly like it when I was little because nobody knew it. And I mean, I, I would rather have been Mary or Jane or one of those People can spell it and say yeah. it. And, yeah. Actually, my first grade, I went to the Mrs. Herndon School, which is where Madge Carter lived. Mm -hmm. That was a school, three old maid school teachers. Huh. And I went to school there, and uh, the first day or so that I was there, the Miss Ann, who was the oldest of the teachers, she uh, didn't spell my name right, and I corrected her. How old were you? Five. <laughs> and when my mother found out about it, in the springtime when we had closing exercises for school, one of the things Miss Ann said in front of all the parents was, and this goes, this prize goes to the little girl who corrected me when I spelled her name 
my mother was mortified. <laughs> Little girls aren't and supposed to do that. So Little when, boys aren't either. Yeah. So when, when we left that, you know, she was, why did you do that? Why did you correct? I mean, those days you didn't correct the teacher in right. the 30s. Right. Why did you do that? I said, she didn't spell my name right. <laughs> right. I have yeah. some pride about yeah, my name. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got a birthday uh, coming up, right? I do. I do. But, big, big nine oh. Yeah. But you don't you don't act like it. You don't sound well, like it. Well, that's what people tell me all the time. And I said, well, the thing of it is, I don't know how to act. <laughs> I act the way I've been my whole life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're surrounded by family because it sounds like, yeah. well, I oh, mean, yeah. you're dispersed yeah. a little bit, but you've got family yeah. Oh, here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what I'd do with that then. Yeah. 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 I feel sorry for people whose children and grandchildren. I mean, I'm even... I don't get to see my great-granddaughter. I've seen her about three times, I guess, since she was born, and I probably won't because they're in the military. I right. doubt that I will get to see as much of her as I do of the two great-grandsons that are in Caroline County. Yeah. But, uh, well, and also, as your family grows, and get, you know that already, when you when your kids grow up and then they have kids of their own and then you're the... the the ripple effect. I mean, they go out and they're playing soccer and they're playing football and they're playing baseball and they got to go this and they got to do this and it goes out. Yeah, and they're marrying yeah. into other and, families and, right. and right. Yeah. And then you got to got to share. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well, Carly, this has been fascinating. I've learned oh. a ton tonight. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. I, well, I was wrong once because I. I just didn't pick up on the fact that you didn't teach at Patrick Henry. I had it in my brain that you taught at Patrick Henry. I did substitute occasionally at Patrick Henry. I'm trying to think if I ever taught at the time that your mom and dad were at Patrick Henry. I might have. I might have taught some time that they would during that period. 5963, yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I may have. You I may have did. taught one or two days or had them in class or something. I tell you, do you know Ron Hopkins? Oh, sure. I taught Ron Hopkins in the fifth grade. <laughs> you ask him about that sometime. I will. <laughs> There's a good story connected with that one. I'm not telling it on here. I was going to say, should he tell it or should you yeah, tell no, it? No, <laughs> he, can, he can tell it, but it should not be put on the airwaves. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, no recordings for posterity. Well, that one. Well, awesome. Carly, I'm glad Vern uh, suggested you. Uh, loved yeah. hearing your stories. And, yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed it. I, enjoy, I, I always enjoy talking. So, uh, People tell me the same thing about myself. <laughs> Thanks, Carly. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.